Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. This is perpetually episode seven because we can't count, and that's what we've decided. So today's episode will be about arenas for failure and recovery for teens in your homeschool. We're going to talk about letting them fail and why that's important and ways to recover from failure. So now you know whether or not you've listened to this episode before. It's episode seven, regardless. <laughs> I'm Sabrina Justison, and I'm here with Vicki Tillman and Kim Smythe. And we are happy to have you sitting in with us as the seventh sister for Seven Sisters Homeschool. We have a number of kids among just the three of us. There are 30-something, I think, among all six of the, the sisters. But the three who are sitting here around the microphone today have raised kids with very different personalities, walked with them through very diverse sets of experiences. And without fail, (laughs) sorry, without fail, they have all failed at something, at numerous somethings. Unlike their mothers. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And also working with homeschoolers in the local community over the years, we've watched kids and their parents go through the process of growing up and Often they have a failure or two in life, just like their parents did. And it's actually a really important thing for us parents to examine this process of when do we allow our teens to fail and how do we help them through the learning and recovery that can come from that. And most importantly, how can we trust God to be the redeemer, to be the one who comes into the broken things and makes them into something vastly more than we could have ever had before the breaking took place. So today is going to be a little different in tone, I guess. Um, We are just going to chat with you and we hope that you've got a nice cup of coffee or tea or water, whatever you enjoy sipping on and you're just relaxing with us here and and thinking. Um, But we, we want to look a little bit at our hearts as moms, I guess, or if there are any dads who are listening. Because this is a tough thing for Mm -hmm. us. When those babies are first placed in our arms, they're so little and so dependent, and we're their everything. And we're so responsible for them. Part of being a homeschool parent is we want to provide the best life and best experiences that our kids individually can have. And so, you know, most of us have goals that we have for the kids and for our families but we can plan our ways, but God has to direct their paths. Absolutely, and it's, it's so important to know that many of us want better for our kids than we had maybe for ourselves, whatever that better means. Yeah, they should never make the mistakes we made when mm-hmm. we were teens. Like they should just start off where we've ended and uh-huh. then go beyond that. That's a great idea. Yeah, don't you think? Yeah. How does so- that work? Um, I don't know. I'll let you know when I, when I figure it out. Yeah, isn't that interesting? If I look at my 14-year-old and want my 14-year-old to have a 40-year-old's maturity in the Lord and in life, hmm, that's perhaps not a reasonable expectation. Not only that, but haven't you met some kids that are like 14 going on 40 and they don't even quite seem to be comfortable in their own skin, or maybe they're comfortable in their skin, but they're, they don't even quite know how to mesh with people their own age sometimes. 
if we expect them to be older than they really are. So we really have a balance of having goals and trying to provide the best and safest experiences for our kids, but also allowing them to grow in the paths that God is allowing them to grow in. And somehow God, I don't really understand it, allows people to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, praise God, he's allowed me to make mistakes. Amen to that. I've got it all figured out. The reason he allows us to make mistakes is because it's a constant reminder of how much we need him. Indeed. There we go. So maybe that's the starting point for this conversation today and for <clears throat> what we're hoping to encourage as conversation in your own homes and your own local communities. Um, that our ultimate goal in homeschooling our kids would be to model for them a deep dependence on God. Indeed. And a trust in his ways above and beyond our own. And sometimes modeling that for our kids is much more difficult than teaching it to them and telling mm -hmm. them about oh, it yes. and bringing things into their lives that will show them the truth of this. And controlling every moment of their days and all of their thoughts. Oy. All right. So if our ultimate goal is to point them to him because he is the source then let's look at the application of that concept in, in different arenas where our kids are likely to experience failure in the teen years and where perhaps we should allow them to experience failure. Let's start with academics. We're, we're homeschoolers talking to homeschoolers about all things homeschool, high school. So mm -hmm. um, academic failure. Now, we're not advocating that you just uh, don't plan anything for your kids and just let them develop their own curriculum and handle high school all by themselves and then fail. No. Right. So yeah, we, we, we plan our years and we give them the, the coursework that we expect of them, but let's talk a little bit about what happens when they're not following through for any one of a number of reasons. So, you know, what if a kid doesn't want to do his math? And maybe hides his math book and doesn't do his math. And, you know, these weeks have gone by. And, you know, what if he has a mid-year review and has to face the academic advisor with inadequate math done? Then he has to make eye contact with that person who says, get the math done and come in and see me every week and show me what you've done. You know, so he has to answer to the embarrassment of not having it done. And that's a lovely plug for homeschooling to some degree or other in community with others. Mm -hmm. Because one of the problems as we get to the teen years in high school is that we are our kids' parent and their teacher. Mm -hmm. And sometimes also their guidance counselor, academic advisor, yeah. and principal. And it's very, very helpful to, to operate in a community where your kid is also having to answer to other moms and dads in the homeschool community because there is something to be gained from being embarrassed in an appropriate way to have to own up to your own irresponsible choice right. to someone other than just mom. Or sometimes you get kids who are just tired of a certain academic. So let's say they're, you know, an, an upperclassman and you know good and well they can do honors level language arts but they're tired of language arts and they just want to do an average language arts. And then they have a transcript that has an average language arts on it. And then they apply to Harvard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you're sitting back there going like, oh my gosh, you know. Mm -hmm. 
But you know what? The world doesn't stop when they get a rejection letter from Harvard because they don't have enough honors on their transcript. Mm -hmm. Sometimes kids learn best with natural consequences. And it also may be the way God opens and closes doors. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think it's beautiful to see when that happens and just, <clears throat> excuse me, allergy season abounds. Um, it, it's just so beautiful to see how God does use whatever we do, the mistakes we make or the mistakes our children make, and open and close doors for them and create opportunities that they may never have looked into if it weren't for a closed door that they thought was the door of their life. Right. So, Because God's in the healing and redemption business. So we talk to our kids, but sometimes you just have to let them make mistakes. How about a kid who is failing academically because she's trying really, really hard and she's just really bad at this one particular area of academics? Um, like me in math. Uh, well, I was going to say like me in math, but... <laughs> or me in math, but... <laughs> Which is why we're perpetually on episode seven. That's right. That's right. Um, we can help our kid work on the material, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, the mastery of that material comes down to what their brain can master, right? And sometimes then we have to reframe, this is not a failure we're going to do what we need to do, do an average level math, and concentrate our efforts on our things we can do honors in, like language arts, if that's the case. Yeah, that can be a tough thing because we all fear when we homeschool that we are going to be responsible for holes or gaps or weaknesses in our children's education. And that's that's just something that we have to face and wrestle through and deal with on our own. We don't want to project that onto our kids and then somehow they have to be great at every academic subject that they tackle in high school or mom's a failure and mom can't deal with it. And then we bring all of this emotional relational weirdness and it's not appropriate. It's so. a problem in our American culture is the Lake Wobegon syndrome where you know Garrison Keillor says in Lake Wobegon all the kids are above average. <laughs> you know, it's okay to be a normal person. Yes. <laughs> and and to have areas in your life in which you are average and normal. Yeah. Because know? that's how God opens and closes doors. Right. And that's the beauty of being in the body of Christ. That yes. we have different strengths, different weaknesses, and when we come together and allow him to create his church in unity, those things all work together for wonderful things. Yes. Amen. All right. So we've talked a little bit about allowing them to experience some academic failure. Um, Relationships. This is an area where it's very difficult for many parents to let go a little bit in the teen years because we scheduled their play dates for them when they were wee little ones. And then we chose which families we would co-op with when they were in not as we little mm-hmm. ones. And then we put them in clubs and on sports teams and in activities with people that we felt good about when they were maybe middle schoolish. And now they're teenagers and some of them have driver's licenses. Oh my. And some of them are getting to know people where we haven't known the mom for 10 years longer than the kid has existed. So um, how do we let go? Because some of those relationships might really cause a broken heart, might cause um, an offense, might get them into some trouble if they choose to follow a not 
very wise friends example. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. Well, you know, all of us have the responsibility to try to train our kids in self-government, I think. You know, how to recognize what they are thinking and feeling and what their own goals are and what they're going to do about their different feelings and opportunities. And as they get into the teen years, they have to start self-governing more. So we can continue to give them those, you know, club opportunities and service groups and youth group at church where we know there are some safe people. And we can talk about what good relationship skills are, which we should, Mm -hmm. and we should model good relationship skills with them. But at some point, they're going to have an argument with a friend. Right. Mm-hmm. Or at some point, they're going to get a crush on a boy that you go like, oh, I wish you didn't have a crush on that boy. <laughs> or girl. You know, yeah, if, yeah. Uh, I've, I've had my, my raised three boys, and mm-hmm. it goes all directions. Mm-hmm. And there are points in life where we have to let them make their own mistakes and trust God for the healing and redemption. Absolutely. I was just going to say trusting God and keeping the conversation open and then not being judgmental of them when they do have mistakes and run into problems. If if all we do is start labeling things in their lives as failure or, or again, as modeling, as Sabrina said, if, if we just instead keep the conversation open and, uh, oh boy, sounding like a teacher here, use everything as a teachable moment, yes. you know, mm-hmm. when that... When that heartbreak happens, when they find themselves in a situation where they were feeling uncomfortable and like maybe they were kind of going to compromise something or whatever and and did or didn't or whatever, just keep that conversation open and understand that this is a marathon. This is not a sprint and you're going to make good choices and bad choices and you got to just keep keep on keeping on. And that God's in the healing and redemption business. And he is on the throne. Good, good perspective. And that long range perspective. I know that many times I have said to my kids and to other kids who have been talking to me about some area where they feel like everything has just crumbled and crashed and just asking them, okay, this is really, really hard. What can we do with it? What can you do with the pain? Because they are going to experience pain for the rest of their lives. The last time I checked, my life was not pain-free. Oh. <laughs> and I have to daily make choices of what will I do with the pain that is present in various areas of my life. And if my kids are just protected from all of that pain, or if I just justify everything when something hard happens to them, this is so unfair that this happened to you, you poor punk, and you didn't, you didn't have any say in any of this, and now you're just stuck, you're just a victim. What am I teaching them? Yeah. So they learn by experiencing mistakes, resiliency skills and humility skills and communication skills, if we allow that to happen. Absolutely, and when our kids fail, it's, we all fail, it's okay to fail. It's, it's kind of, again, what we do with it and what God does with it. So if you failed and you handled it as best you can, hold your head up high and keep moving forward. All right, let's talk about financial failure. This, this is tough oh when our kids start to have money of their own that they've earned in a part-time job. Um, and we see them not being a good natural manager of that. Um, not perhaps always stewarding their resources to the best. How do we 
do we let them buy that thing that we know is a total waste that they're going to be really sorry they spent that money on? Yes, actually, my answer is yes. <laughs> well, a good thing to do is to let them take a financial literacy course so that they have learned some self-government tools. But part of learning is, you know, you, you let them make a budget and then screw it all up. And how much easier it is to screw up the budget when the budget is small and the stakes are small. And you don't rescue them from that screw up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had a kid who shall remain nameless who would be okay with me saying this, but still shall remain nameless, who went around with a barely functioning cell phone for a significant period of months because the money that should have gone toward replacing and upgrading a phone that this person knew was on its last legs, instead went to something stupid. And so when that phone wasn't working very well, mom didn't buy another one. And that was painful, but it was probably really good life lesson. <laughs> <laughs> that natural consequences is a good thing and it is okay to make mistakes sometimes. Very good. All right, so let's address the elephant in the room, which is that sometimes teens fail in areas of character, integrity, they exhibit spiritual immaturity, and we as followers of Jesus and parents of said children feel dreadful. <laughs> How do we face failure in our kids in, in these very important interior matters? Well, one is, is to remember that teenagers are growing up, and so they don't have our experience, and we cannot control their internal thoughts and character development. So we can teach them to self-govern, but they're likely to screw up. Just, I mean, how many grown-ups do you know that still blow it in some, you know, spiritual maturity way or, you know, character on the job way or you know, crabby when they shouldn't be kind of way, you know, like they're all ways us grown-ups are still struggling. So teens are going to blow it sometime. And so to, like Kim was saying, is, is you keep the conversation open. And you avoid the quick to judge labels. I think that was really great that you said that, Kim, yeah. that we don't just label things right away and then it becomes a judgment. We, we speak truth and we call things what they are, but it, it's a part of a genuine conversation where the, the person is still of greater value than just the situation. Say so a person is not their mistakes. Yeah, it brings me back to the, the very small semantic thing. You lied, you are not a liar. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want to speak that into their lives. I don't want them to label themselves, like, like I think mm -hmm. Vicki just said, as a liar. But I want them to understand that what they just did was, was they lied or they cheated or whatever they did that was wrong. Um, but that doesn't make them a bad person. And if, as long as they keep looking to God, looking to within themselves, looking to us, they'll just overcome that and they won't do that. That won't be their character. It will just be an act that they did. So when a kid blows it, in some way or the other. Also, we want to make sure we don't fall into the helicopter parent syndrome where we swoop in and say, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't my kid's fault, it was so-and-so's fault, and you know, demand everybody protect their kid. Yeah. There's it's, a lot to be said for 
does the result of this failure fit the failure? Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's not just a matter of the consequence per se for the child, which that that should it should fit the crime. The punishment should right. fit the crime. Right. You know? Absolutely. Um, but also for us as the mom, is is my response so over the top that I am now following my kid around and micromanaging every little thing because he slipped up in this one area? My response is now out of proportion to what's really going on. And these are things that really only the Holy Spirit can guide us in because these are matters of the heart. And the Bible is clear about the fact that our behaviors are observable to man and to ourselves. But our hearts are hidden even from ourselves until we go to God and ask him to show us the things that are in our hearts. And often it's all about our own fear and insecurity and in essence our own failure that makes us so unable to handle our kids' failure. Which really points to, as parents, our most important responsibility is to pray. That we need to pray for our kids and we need to be praying about ourselves. Mm -hmm. That that the Holy Spirit reveal to us what we need to grow in. And if you find that your prayer life is an area where you really struggle, uh, forgive me for the shameless plug, but they have been a (laughs) tremendous blessing to me. So in our bookstore at sevensistershomeschool.com, we have Right now, three prayer journals of various kinds, two by Vicki Tillman and one by our friend Lisa Shea that is specifically designed for people battling a chronic illness. Mm -hmm. Um, But just some wonderful, inexpensive, easy encouragement day by day to grow in your prayer life. Because Vicki's right, that is our primary um, job as, as parents of these teens is to pray and to look to God for their ongoing development because God is the one who began the good work in our children. He is the one who must be faithful to complete it. Indeed. And he will. Especially if we stay out of the way. Mm. We can mm. we can we can do what he guides us to do along the way, but we should never be in his way. We can't be God. Yes. We can pray to God. Absolutely. At one point to remind myself of that, I actually wrote out a to-do list. And it said, like, whatever was first, you know, it was pray, read my Bible, pray, make breakfast, pray, whatever. (laughs) And I just literally wrote pray in between every single thing. Very good. Very good. All right, let's just name a couple of the areas and let's let's just put it out there so that we're, we're being honest. We have to acknowledge the fact that our kids might fail behind the wheel of a car. They might get a ticket. They might have an accident they might run a red light yeah that stuff happens Mm -hmm. and so we we have to take that deep breath do the best we can during all of those learners permit hours to train them but then when it's time for them to drive and they appear to be ready to drive on their own let them drive Mm -hmm. and pray (laughs) yes absolutely pray back to praying (laughs) God, please give your angels charge over the kids. But but they have to self-govern at that point. There's nothing you can do when they're behind the wheel of that car. And you have to trust that you've given them good tools, that they know to trust God with their driving skills. And then if they make a mistake, that God is still in the healing and redemption business. And that trust is so huge. The, the trusting... All, all of what Vicki mentioned, the trusting of your, your student, that they're uh, your child, that they're a good kid, that they've done their due diligence in terms of learning well and practicing well, 
that you've done well with them. That And I'm a huge believer in driving as much as possible all over creation with my kids. Um, we've taken all kinds of road trips all, all over interstate highways with my kids, and they were driving a lot of it so that I knew and they knew. They were confident because they had a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, just trusting God that he's got this. But if they make a mistake, not to rescue them from the consequences. Insurance goes up, they pay for the insurance. Absolutely. You get that little red light ticket in the mail, they're paying the little red light ticket that comes yeah. in the mail. And oddly enough, I, I'm, I'm sharing this again from personal experience and a child who would not mind me sharing it. I had one kid who didn't want to drive, hated driving, went to driver's ed because I said he had to go to driver's ed. Mm -hmm. And he had an accident. And he didn't want to drive anymore after that accident. Mm. And I didn't allow that option because Beautiful. part of facing that failure was recognizing with where we live and the society that we live in, he had to be able to drive. And it was very scary and very hard to get back behind the wheel. Um, but it was better than crippling him. So that was part of the redemption from that mistake was to have a mom that was willing to say, we're going to do this. So it's not like we quit parenting when we let them right. make mistakes. Right. And and I remember that situation, and you were just very encouraging, just speaking into him, you can do this, you can do this. And I understand that you're scared. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I tried to really validate that, because that's when our kids fail on an adult scale for the first time, it is scary. Mm-hmm. It's scarier for them in most cases than it would be for us to fail in the same way because we've got those years of life experience. We have bounced back from enough things to feel fairly confident that, oh no, okay, it'll be all right. But they don't necessarily have that, I will recover from this, God will right. work in this. So we, we need to provide a lot of that for them. All right, how about the internet? Any any teens that we've ever heard of who ever made any poor choices on the internet? Oh my <laughs> None, ever. <laughs> never, never. That, that one is so hard because, especially in the internet situation, there are evil doers out there trolling to bring young people down, to yep. get them addicted or damaged. There, there are very evil forces on the internet. Unfortunately, we can't control every single moment of their lives, and so... They need to be able to freely talk to us about things they run into mm -hmm. and thoughts and feelings that they have or fears that they have because that's that conversation is what keeps it safer. And I'm going to go way out on a limb here. And ladies, if you disagree with me, feel free to say that's Sabrina's opinion and not mine. But I would say it's 2016 right now when we're recording this. And for this year, if your approach to teens and the internet is they just shouldn't be on it, I would say that you're wrong because it is such a an integrated part of every part of learning and communication in our world today. And it is not going to go away. What's well, a job skill? So if mm -hmm. we're not in the same way that you've got to teach kids to cross the street and you mm -hmm. can't just say, no, you should stay in the house all the time. You shouldn't mm -hmm. ever go anywhere. I don't think that we are in an age anymore where we can just keep our children away from all things connected to other people's computers. Which is a, a good place to drop Leah Neiman's name. Oh, yes. 
that if you want some really good um, support and advice and encouragement is to check out her Facebook page. And her and, website is leahneeman.com and her, um, her site is called Connected. You could also search for it that way. But she provides tremendous resources for parents trying to navigate technology and parenting. In this modern world. Mm-hmm. And it, no more than... We have this idea that, that the inner, there's so much evil on the internet, and yes, it's out there, um, but like Sabrina said, not only crossing the street, but we live in a suburban area, and you know, if our kids go to the mall, they're exposed to all kinds of things. So it, it, I just want to agree with Sabrina for the most part. It, I think it really is, um, it is pretty much akin to saying to them, like, you have to just stay in the house at the kitchen table. <laughs> And, and in the, um, you know, and in your room. And of course, I, I totally respect everybody's right to parent as you see fit for your kids. But in the world that we live in, if you expect your kids to participate in the world that we're in and go out and get a job or go to college or anything like that, they, they've got to be able to, to navigate that. And if they're not learning how to do that when they're in high school or younger, they're going to be at a significant disadvantage. Well said. Yeah. All right. Um, let's quickly touch as we're wrapping things up. We we need to allow them to fail in their choice of the way they use their leisure time. Teenagers waste time because people waste time. <laughs> and the fact that my kid chooses to waste time in a way that I do not understand and think is totally stupid. Um, the consequence for wasting time is that you get behind on stuff that you needed to get done. And you either have to scramble to play catch-up, or you have to skip some sleep, or you have to sacrifice going somewhere and doing something that you wanted to do because things that you're responsible for aren't done. But that's not the same thing as me choosing my child's leisure activities to make sure that they're things that I find to be refreshing. Mm -hmm. Some people are introverts and some are extroverts. And what is exhausting to me socially, because I'm an introvert, may be absolutely necessary and energizing for my kid who is an extrovert. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I need to let them, let them express where they're stuck and what's working for them. And I also need to provide appropriate consequences when, no, nope, they just made some bad choices with how they spent their time. And uh, finally, an area that we talked about as we sort of brainstormed for this episode, uh, Kim brought up that as our teens develop their areas of passion, we have to be okay with them failing. What does that look like from your perspective? Well, and even sort of defining what failure is, sometimes it's what we define as failure, but it's not to them. Um, in particular, you may have heard me mention ice hockey, or my kids have tried a lot of different sports, but I've seen it in music as well, where the parent has an absolute uh, conviction, you know, be whatever it is, your, it may be your area of passion, or it may just be that you see a gifting in your child, and you're absolutely convinced that they're going to be the next virtuoso pianist, or they're going to be the next WNHL all-star. And I've seen so many situations where the parent has more passion than the child. Mm. And so maybe it's more a failure on our part, but we actually burn the kid out before they ever have a chance to decide on their own. And then it becomes a failure and sometimes becomes a failure in the relationship too. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it really strains 
the, the parent-child relationship. Um, so to allow teens to, air quotes, yes. fail by not fully developing an interest to the level we think absolutely they, they are capable of doing. Or, or what we might call quitting, mm -hmm. when it's actually them just making a choice to follow their passion. And maybe they're actually following something that God put in them that if we have them continue on one path, it's our path and not his path. It's a really delicate dance because we do still, teens, teens need a lot of encouragement to stay the course and to develop perseverance and endurance Absolutely. and diligence. Absolutely. So I think one of the keys that we've observed to making that work, that dance, is to keep the communication very open and very honest. And if I'm talking to my daughter who danced about the time spent in dance class and practice and she's wanting to spend more time hanging with her friends and doing other things at a certain point um, in, in her teen years. If we go back to what do you want to do with dance in the big picture? Mm -hmm. Do you want to still be doing something with this when you're 20-something, when you're 30-something, when you're 40-something? Then you got to put in the commitment hours now. And if she says, I don't, I enjoyed this when I was eight and I'm over it, then that's an honest conversation to have. But um, if everyone is coming back to those goals and that overarching vision for life, then you can make wise, wise choices where you are encouraging them to follow what is actually best for them. And a lot of prayer is necessary to know how to navigate that dance as a mom. Good pun, Vicki. <laughs> <laughs> So we hope that we have given you some encouragement, first of all, to know that it is not only your teens who occasionally do things with less than perfection, and it is not only you who as a parent occasionally do things with less than perfection. It's all of us. And we hope that we are also encouraging you to go to the God who is perfect and whose love for us is perfect and whose plans for us are perfect and who will take all the way to the point of perfect completion, the good work that he's begun in each of us. We pray for all of you. We understand that the dance is tricky, especially in the high school years of homeschooling. And we hope that you know, as you're listening to this podcast, that we don't just create curriculum. We don't just talk about all things homeschool, high school. We also pray for homeschoolers because we're all veteran homeschool moms, been there, done that, and we know that it's hard. But God is good, and he is not interested in abandoning you to do this on your own. And you can trust him, so we just leave you with that this week and encourage you to trust in his good plans. And we'll see you next time. This was the Homeschool High School podcast from SevenSistersHomeschool.com, brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.